0: Uh, we are in the book of Ephesians. If you're new, we started last Sunday, so you're not very far behind. We we literally just looked at uh, verses uh, three through uh, seven last week. Today we're picking up in verses um, eight through um, sorry seven through ten this week. Uh, The book of Ephesians was a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote about 10 years after helping to plant a church in Ephesus. Ephesus is a real city. You can go visit that. It's not a very populated area right now, but you can go visit it today. Uh, The ancient ruins of of the the, the city of 250,000 people that was once there is still there. You can go see those. You can even see some of the places that the Apostle Paul in Acts 19 went to in Ephesus where he walked certain roads or he went into the amphitheater that you can still go into uh, today. So we're reading about this letter to a a church in a culturally diverse, wealthy, pagan city of a quarter million people uh, in the ancient world. And there are a lot of great themes uh, for us today. As I said last week, it may be Paul's greatest letter uh, as far as a condensed message. Chapters one through three are about the gospel, really, just gospel theology. And then verses, uh, chapters four through six are gospel living. Out of that, how do we live our lives? Um, I want to encourage you if, you, if you're not in a community group, to join a community group because the thing about the book to, of Ephesians, as much as I love reading it, as much as I liked my journal and doing some you know, drawing and reflecting on it, it's not meant for me. It's not meant for me personally. It's written to a church. And so the way we're meant to, to work through this is to work through it in community together. Uh, And our community groups are where we practice all the one and others of the New Testament. uh, And you don't have to be a Bible scholar. As a matter of fact, we really discourage Bible scholars from going to our community groups because they tend to be really obnoxious, know-it-alls. So if you don't know everything about the Bible, then you should check out a community group uh, because that's the place for you. Um, No no pre-knowledge needed. You can sign up at the table in the back. Uh, Last week, we began looking at 1, 1 through 7, and really this is the beginning. 3 through 3, verse 3 picks up as the core verse for a section, verses 3 through 14. You can see verse 3 on the screen where Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And what he's talking about here is is the theme for the rest of those verses uh, from, from verse 4 through 14 is really this idea that, God has blessed us with everything, every blessing in Jesus. Uh, and this, as a matter of fact, this in the original language is one sentence in the, the Greek, verses 3 through 14. Paul is packing all of this theology, and there's grandiose cosmic language that will come across throughout this. Last Sunday, we looked at the blessing of being adopted into God's family. Today, we're looking at a second significant blessing that is the blessing of redemption. I'm going to read uh, Ephesians 1, 7 through 10. I encourage you to follow along in your Bible or on the screen. And then uh, when I'm done, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And I invite you to respond with me by saying, thanks be to God. In him, that is Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. So just a a simple outline today for us. Uh, We're gonna work through uh, what is redemption? Why do we need redemption? How does God offer us redemption? And then what is God's ultimate plan connected or related to redemption? So let's talk about what is redemption. Verse 7, Paul begins with, In him we have redemption through his blood that's a strange word, right? We don't use it all the time. So I wanna give us a, a definition, a working definition for us. A redemption, biblically speaking, means being liberated, freed, or rescued from bondage and slavery to a person or thing through the payment of a price by another. We use the word redeem uh, a bit in our culture, but it's usually associated with redeeming a coupon, right? Or, or maybe uh, when you check your coat at a nice place, you redeem your ticket to receive your coat back. You are buying your coat out of bondage, right? That's, no, uh, we don't use the word in a similar way. It's a little very different than it was in that ancient culture. Um, but the, the, the Greek word uh, redemption is tied to the deliverance from bondage or imprisonment through the payment of a price. Uh, in that culture, a slave attained freedom... Uh, In in the Roman Empire, as much as two thirds of the population were were bond slaves, it it wasn't uh, chattel slavery like American slavery, but it was uh, uh, was a form of slavery. It was a bond slave because they had no welfare system. You could sell yourself into slavery to pay a debt or to live, and then eventually, if you were able to, buy yourself actually out of that. Um, But the idea was when a slave was in bondage, you could buy that slave, you could pay for that slave to be set free. Now, sadly, that imagery, and that, because the Roman Empire was so uh, impacted by uh, the concept of slavery, some early theologians, including uh, one named Origen, uh, began this idea that, well, what Paul's really talking about here is this picture of slavery. Of, um, of of slavery that we are, we are uh, in bondage and enslaved and, and there has to be a price paid and who, you know, how in, in the, the picture of good and evil, who who has bondage of us, it would be Satan, right? So God pays this price to Satan so that he can redeem us. And sad, what's sad is while uh, that's not a biblical theology, it's not a biblical understanding of this word, it was taught because of the framework and the cultural framework of Slavery in the Roman Empire, but the word um, the word redeem we don't need to look outside of Scripture to understand what it means. Scripture gives us everything we need to understand it. 150 times in the English Bible, uh, only about 20 of those appear in the New Testament. So 130 references to Redeemer redemption are in the Old Testament, which means that's where we need to go. That's what we need to look at to understand it. And it's not the pagan slave market, but rather the Old Testament deliverance of God's people out of Egypt is the term that's most associated with redemption in scripture. So the idea that God's people were in bondage in in Egypt um, under Pharaoh and and, uh, God went in through his power and delivered them. Exodus 6.6 uses this exact language. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. So the image is God going into Egypt, not because uh, Pharaoh had a rightful, a right to, to God's people. He, he didn't go in and barter with Pharaoh and pay him money. He went in and kicked Pharaoh's door in and he defeated all the Egyptian gods, that's the, the plagues, he defeated them to set his people free. What he was doing was he was demonstrating his pursuit of his people and his willingness to pay the price through, uh, through signs and wonders to redeem his people. Now, to, a word that might help us frame this out in our language a little bit better is the word ransomed, which in the Greek, the original language of the New Testament, actually is, uh, has the same root word as the word redeemed. Uh, we use the word ransom all the time right now, right? Or we've heard this term, like we've all seen the TV shows or the movies where, you know, a, a child was kidnapped and then, or a person was kidnapped and then a letter was written or a phone call or an email or whatever, you know, you got to deliver X $10 million or we're going to kill your loved one, right? That's the ransom. There was a ransom paid to someone who had a loved one in bondage. Um, and, and this is a picture, and Jesus actually uses this language in Mark 10, 45. He said, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So his payment of his life. Um, so this is the picture of redemption. This is what redemption is. Now the question is, why do we need it? Like that's nice, it sounds nice, right? That God would love us and wanna redeem us, but, but why? Verse seven says something very important here. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. So we need redemption because we need forgiveness. Now I know this seems outdated to modern ears, but, but I want you to, to go with me on this because it actually makes sense if you understand that the, 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 what is between God and human beings is a relationship. In a relationship, right, a close relationship, Forgiveness is necessary when there has been a wrong. And the greater the wrong, the more important forgiveness happens, right? The closer the relationship and the more significant the wrong, then the, the, the more there has to be an exchange. Why? Because in, when, when, when I hurt uh, my wife or my, my kids deeply, then it creates a debt on their side that I owe. Right, I have wronged them, and, and it's not as simple as just winking and it going away. That We do that with small things, but in a significant relationship with a significant uh, wrong, it, it's weighty. So, so we're made in the image of God to be an intimate, personal relationship with God, reflecting God to this world, and yet, we don't do that. We've rebelled against our Creator. We've committed treason against the rule of God in our universe. How do, you know, how do I know that? Because every single time you and I commit a sin, every lie, every moment of selfishness, every moment of greed or pride or lust or whatever the, our little sins we would define, you know, that we've done, we did before we probably even got out of bed this morning, uh, those little things, we've committed treason against God and said, You don't have a right to rule in this moment. You don't have a right to rule in this space, in, in my life or in my mind or in my heart or through my words, or through my actions. So what's the nature then behind this? And this is where, again, I've mentioned it already, but church history is actually helpful on this point. Beginning in the fifth century, there was a famous debate between two, two leaders, um, Pelagius and Augustine. Pelagius uh, suggested that the, um, the, the primary thing wrong with us is that we do wrong deeds, we do wrong things, and therefore, what we need to do is stop doing the wrong things and just do the right things. So everybody got that? And if that's the case, we're done for the day, everybody go home. <laughs> but has anybody tried to do the right thing all the time? And let's, let's even get beyond doing it. Has everybody always had right thoughts while you're doing the right thing? No. So, there, so there's something underneath it, and this is where Augustine said, Scripture suggests this, but we also, but, but actually bears out in reality, right? The main thing he says is wrong with, wrong with us is that we have been living for wrong purposes. We were made to know and to love God. We were created to be in that intimate relationship with him, to find our rest and our satisfaction in him, but we have gone and looked in other places. So what's wrong with us? Not so much what we have done wrong as that what we have loved, that we have loved wrong. Not so much that we have done wrong as much as we have loved wrong. So don't sit there and think, okay, so God doesn't care that, I, you know, that I, uh, I'm, I'm stealing at, at my job or I eat all my roommate's food out of the fridge. So God doesn't care about that? He does. I'm not saying the wrong action doesn't matter but there's a reason you're stealing from your job, right? There's a reason behind what you're doing in your job. There's a reason that you're taking your roommate's food, and it's not just because it's yummy and free, right? There's a reason. There's something in you that said, I have a right to do this. And what Augustine was saying is that there's something in us that's the real issue. It's the orientation of our heart. So we, uh, James K. Smith, who's an Augustan scholar, at, uh, Cal- he's at Calvin University, calls these disordered loves. Um, and it's not wrong action, but wrong love that is at work. And he wrote a book uh, recently called On the Road with St. Augustine: A Real-World Spirituality for Restless Hearts. It's a great book. Um, and, and what's interesting is through the most of the book, each chapter begins with a question. Uh, and here are just a few of the questions he asks. Listen, he says, what do I want when I want blank? So in this case, he says, what do I want when I want to be noticed? What do I want when I crave intimacy? What do I want when I want to leave? What do I want when I want to belong? What do I want when I want an identity? What do I want when I want to change the world? What do I want when I want to live? And what he's doing in these chapters is digging behind that surface desire of like, oh, I want to make a difference in the world. Like, I don't know anybody that's like, I don't know. Don't want to make any difference in the world, right? Especially millennials. Millennials want their lives to make a difference in the world. I'm not against that. I'm all for that. But what Augustine is saying, we ought to dig behind and ask what the motive is. Why? Why? Is it because you need to feel significant? Because you need to feel like you're important? Or is it because you want to leverage your life for God? What we really need is to not simply stop doing the wrong things, but to stop loving the wrong things. And this is what redemption does. When Jesus redeems us, cleanses us, he washes us clean of loving the wrong things and, and doing the wrong things, and we are, we are changed. First Peter 1.18 uh, says something real similar to our passage. It says, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. So it's a pattern that we were raised in. Your parents loved wrong things. Your friends loved wrong things. You love wrong things. Is it any wonder that we continue in this pattern? So we need to be redeemed out of that. And in fact, Ephesians 2, we'll get to it in a few weeks, but Ephesians 2 says, before we're redeemed, we are actually dead in our trespasses and sin, and we are living according to and under the, principle, the, the uh, prince of the power of the air. Any guesses on who that is? No one, not Jesus, okay? Jesus is usually the answer when I'm throwing something out like this, but it's not this time. Very wrong, very different, opposite guy. Uh, Satan, right? Satan, uh, we are operating according to his mindset, his way of living. And even, you know, it's interesting in the Old Testament and Bible pictures, this Pharaoh is a type of Satan. He doesn't have actual rights to the Hebrew people, does he? He doesn't. He does not have legal rights to them, but he has them captive. And Satan has us captive through the power of our sin and our our loving the wrong things. And Christ comes and enters through his death and redeems us. This is why we need redemption. The third question I want us to see today our answer that Paul talks about is how does God offer us redemption? Look at verse seven again. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So how does God offer us redemption? He offers it through the payment of his son, Jesus, through the blood of Christ, a dying in our place. We look for a false redemption. Listen, it's not that the church in here is like, you know what, something's really wrong and we need to like think about, oh, Jesus gives us redemption, sets us free. Everybody in this city is looking for redemption of some kind. They may not use that term, but there is a sense of wrong, a sense of things not quite being right, things not being what they should be or could be or would be, and, and then they look to something or someone and they say, redeem me. Give my life purpose. How many people look at marriage this way, single people? How many, people, how many married people look at kids this way? Listen, if, if you go into marriage and you're looking for your spouse to redeem you, you are putting a weight on them they can never bear. God help you if you're both doing it. You will, you will figure out real fast. Husbands are terrible redeemers. And wives are too. But, if you're, but but the, the problem is our world is tempting us at all times with other redeemers. Wait till you get your education. Wait till you finish that degree. Wait till, you, wait till you get that job or that next promotion. Then your life will have meaning. Then your life will have purpose. Then you'll be free from X or Y or Z. How many of us are buying into that all the time? These false redeemers. Then there's a denial of bondage. People just... <laughs> I'm free. I do what I want. I'm not in bondage. I can stop sinning if I want to, right? There's this idea that that it isn't re- really real at all. Sin is a figment of our imagination or an overactive conscience and that God is just really okay with whatever I want to do. And so what people do is they suppress that conscience, that voice that says, this isn't right. You're not, you shouldn't be doing this and, and say, Oh, well, it's just, you know, it's my psychology. Um, and, you know, or it's a repression of, 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 uh, guilt and shame from the culture I was raised in or, you know, an I expression of that. So I need to like push that off and be free. And so people act like they can live free now without realizing even in that there is bondage. There's bondage to selfishness. There's bondage to pride. There's bondage to lust. All of those things. And the final obstacle is blame. And again, our culture is great at this. Now listen, I want to I say this very carefully. There are real bad things that can happen to people. Really bad things. I get that. And, and they can hurt you and they can shape you and they can influence you but they can't excuse you. God has incredible mercy for people who have been abused or suffered. But you don't get to just go, well, my mom and dad did blank, or my, this person did blank, or that happened to me, and so, you know what, this is just the way I am now. I'm just gonna lash out at people whenever I decide to, and it's just built into me, and then there's nothing I can do about it. You don't get to do that about the last time you got angry or, or um, you know hurt and, and how fast your mind went to someone else. If they hadn't done this, if she hadn't said that, if he hadn't acted like this, then I wouldn't be doing this. We're so quick to blame. And listen, we are in good company. Did you know the very first words that the, that, that the first man spoke to God when God accused him of sin was to blame his wife. This woman you gave me, she gave me the fruit. She's defective, it's your fault, God. I mean, I don't wanna say it, but like you gave her to me and she's broken, clearly. This is what we do. And as long as you are living in, in, in fall, under false redeemers, a denial of your bondage, or blaming other people, you can't experience redemption. Because to experience redemption, you gotta see yourself enslaved. You gotta see yourself caught in uh, sin. And you've gotta go before God. But the beauty of it is when we do that, when we're transparent, when we're admitted, when we're open, God lavishes his grace on you. He already sees it all. We don't hide anything from him. So if you're feeling conviction today, as a Christian or, or if you've never experienced grace, this is the invitation for you today to experience redemption. To come today with your with your hands open and receive grace lavished on you through Christ. What a great gift that is! I really I have to say this. It's so hard for me to understand why people and some Christians in our culture and churches in our culture want to like minimize the cross. I go. It's the greatest. Gift in the history of the world. Your sins are paid. You're free. You're redeemed. You are in God's presence. You are adopted into His family. Nothing in heaven or hell or all of creation can separate you from God's love. We're going to move into our time of response. And if that is you today, you're feeling that, feeling that weight. Listen the only reason God convicts us, convicts us convicts us is to convince us of our need for his son. He's not here to make you walk in guilt or shame. If you're feeling conviction it's because he's trying to convince you to look to Jesus and be set free. Just like your you know if, you, if some of your parents, you know, parents of younger kids but imagine your child's in addiction one day. And they just keep going, no I'm not. No I'm not. No, I'm not. You're like, we can't help you until you say you are. And that's what conviction is about. The Spirit calling us to say, yes, here I am. And we, we, for Christians, we embrace that when we take communion. We are embracing that we don't have it together. If you have it together, please don't take communion today. Communion is for people who don't have it together and you're being reminded and God is convincing you once again, I'm going to take the body and the blood of Christ because I need it. And it's good. And it's grace. And it's lavished on me. If you're not a Christian, communion is not for you today. Christ is for you today. And then communion, once you're sure you have put your faith in him and experienced redemption. And so I invite you, you can mark on your connection card you can go through that uh qr code and 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 mark there we'll follow up with you i'll be in the back through the rest of the service would love to talk with you about that we're gonna stay go ahead and stand we'll do communion over this next song make your way out this door take time to prepare yourself and then gradually not everybody at once. make your way out that door can't have food or drink in here so go out the back um Out that door, there'll be communion stations out there. You can take communion, uh, drop the the, uh, remains in the trash out there, and then make your way back in here. So let's pray together, and then we'll respond. God, who are we that you you would die for us? That you would redeem us? from slavery to our own sin from bondage to our own our own iniquity our own guilt you alone who could do something about it did something about it because of your love and your grace today is more abundant more beautiful more full and rich than we can ever comprehend. I pray you would just pull the veil back a little bit in our hearts. Let us see and experience that grace fully now as we take the bread in the cup, as we sing, as we remember what you've done. In your name.